0: Good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, please be praying for uh, Wen Reagan. He's got, we're not sure what he's got, but it looks a little bit like COVID, so we're praying for Wen this morning. And we are thankful once again that uh, Sam Gould is here with us. Uh, one more Sunday, right? Uh, I think we may want to start a GoFundMe campaign so he can uh, commute back and forth every weekend from Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> But uh, thanks, Sam, for being here, Scott. uh, uh, It's great to uh, have you leading us in worship. This summer, we are looking at psalms, and uh, one of the hardest things about being a preacher is when they don't give you a text, you have to pick your own. And uh, part of the problem is you can't complain, then, about the text that you have, because you pick it yourself, uh, like I'm prone to do. And... uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 91. Before we look at that, uh, my, uh, probably my favorite Old Testament professor in seminary was Dr. Bruce Waltke. And I took a course with him on the Psalms. And when he would teach the Psalms, he would close his eyes and lean back. And then he would recite to us the Psalm from memory. And what we learned is that Dr. Walkie actually had the book of, whole book of Psalms memorized in Hebrew. And as he was quoting us the words, he was picturing in his mind the Hebrew, and he was translating it into English for us, uh, for the sake of us uh, uh, sinners. Uh. Brad reminded us a couple of weeks ago that Ed Henniger, on his last Sunday, stood here and recited the whole book of Ephesians, from memory. And some of us doubt whether or not this is true, but Brad claims to have had the whole book of First, Chron- First Chronicles uh, memorized. <laughs> but the point is, I think the printing press has made us lazy, right? If we want to know what Scripture says, we just pick up a Bible, and there are Bibles everywhere. Now that we even have them on our phone, we don't even have to carry a Bible. We have the words, if we want to know what Scripture says, we just look it up ourselves. But there are still parts of the world today where Christians are persecuted and where owning a Bible can be dangerous. In those parts of the world, indeed, Christians memorize whole portions of Scripture. We are told of Christians in in North Korea where one church may have one Bible and they tear off pages and they pass them from one person to the other, memorizing the page that they have because they know they won't have that page again, right, right? The Jewish people have been men- memorizing scripture for millennia. And all of this to say, I am convinced that Jesus must have, had, must have memorized large portions of his Bible, the Old Testament. It was not surprising for Jewish boys to memorize the Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament. And I believe Jesus had memorized the book of Psalms as well. The number of times he quotes a portion of a psalm convinces me of this. He walked around with his brain filled with the word of God and every day throughout the day, he would see connections between what he was experiencing in the world and God's word that was hidden in his heart and in his mind. As we read the psalms, I think it's helpful for us to think of them as Jesus' prayer book. It's helpful to imagine Jesus praying This psalm, there are certain psalms that are difficult for us to pray. Psalms that assert the innocence of the psalmist, or psalms that call down judgment on the wicked. When psalms are difficult for us, I have found it helpful to imagine how Jesus would pray a particular psalm. And our psalm this morning is one of those psalms. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm of of great comfort, but it's a psalm that raises big questions for us. So let us read together, responsively, Psalm 91. Listen again to God's word to us. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and defense. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked because you have made the Lord your refuge the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me I will deliver, I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like for us to do three movements in this sermon. First, I want us to listen. Listen to what the psalm has to say to us, what it is saying. Second, I want us then to talk back to the psalm, to ask questions of it in light of our own experience. And then thirdly, I want us to listen again, but this time listen to Jesus and how he would pray this psalm. First then, let's look at this psalm together, beginning with verse 1. Verse 1 tells us that that the psalm is written to those who live and abide in the shelter of the Most High in the shadow of the Almighty. And so let me ask you this morning, is that you? Are you one who lives in the shelter of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty? And what does it mean to live in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of the Almighty? Well, verse 2 tells us, it means to say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And notice in these first two verses, the psalmist uses four different names for God. He refers to him as the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, and my God. And one of the things that the psalmist is making clear that we understand is we're talking about the powerful one, the creator of all things. Our God is one indeed that we can trust because he is so powerful, as well as being good and faithful. Now in the overhead, I believe there is a a slight uh, misprint Verse 2, where it says, uh, I will say to the Lord, uh, the Lord the, should be spelled with all capital letters, uh, because it is a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, uh, the name the Lord gave to Moses to give to his people. And it is the name of covenantal relationship. It is the name that reminds us that our God is a God who addresses his people by name and who invites us to address him by name. We live in the shadow of the Almighty when we speak personally to a personal God, address him by name, have a relationship with him, where we confess that he is our refuge, our place of safety, that we trust him. We entrust ourselves and those we love to him. Does that describe you this morning? Do you run to God? When you feel threatened, is he your fortress? When you're confused about what to do, do you cry out to him first? When you are exhausted, do you fall asleep in his arms? And do you wake up asking for his help, his direction, his strength? Do you trust him? And if you are afraid to, verses 3 to 8 tell us why we should trust him. And the psalmist in these verses 3 through 8 describes some of our biggest fears. The snare of the hunter, our fear that... There are people who are determined to destroy us. In an age of conspiracy theories, we are all prone to believe that there are people out there who are plotting to destroy us by deceit and trickery. We are easily convinced that traps are being set that we could blindly stumble into. And then there is the deadly pestilence. <laughs> we know all about the deadly pestilence, right? What we've been living for the last two and a half years. And the, verse 5 the terror of the night, our fear of the dark, the terror that fills many of us when we are faced with an unknown future, when we cannot see clearly what is coming next. And then the arrow that flies by day, the arrow, a symbol of a weapon that is fast, that can strike you from a distance, that you cannot see coming until it is too late. We know about these arrows, whether it is a sudden health diagnosis that strikes us down or a financial crisis or a career crisis, we know about the arrow that flies by day. And then verse 6 repeats again, this fear of the pestilence that stalks us in darkness. And doesn't COVID feel that way? Doesn't it feel as if we are being stalked by this disease? Cancer feels that way. It feels like there's this malevolent disease that is trying to find us and strike us. Lyme disease, there are these ticks out there in the field stalking us, waiting to grab us and Give us this disease we don't know enough about. For me, poison ivy. Poison ivy is stalking me all the time, right? Why should we trust God? Because whatever your fear is, verse 3 tells us that he will deliver you. Verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, with his wings. The psalmist gives us a picture of a mother bird protecting her chicks, whether it's from the heat of the sun or from the attack of a predator, God will shield you under his wings. And Jesus used this exact metaphor in Luke 13, 34, when he laments over Jerusalem and says, Oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Why should we trust God? Because this is who God is. This is who Jesus Christ is. He creates shade for us, a protection from the sun by absorbing its heat in his own body. He shelters us from the predator who would consume us by receiving in his own body the blows of our predator. Trust him because, as verse 4 says, his faithfulness is a shield and defense. Trust him because he is faithful. He will do all that he has promised to do. In a wor- world where words mean less and less where what I told you yesterday means nothing today, our God is faithful. He doesn't change his mind. He fulfills every promise. And then verse 7 says we should trust him because no matter how bad it looks, no matter if you see a 1,000 fall at your side or 10,000 at your right hand, you will be kept safe. Trust him because verse 8 tells us that if we wait just a moment, we will see the punishment of the wicked. And then verses 9 and 10 restate the premise of the psalm. We can trust him. We can trust our God because if we make the Lord our refuge, our home, listen. Listen to this. No evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. And then verses that may sound familiar to us. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so you will not dash your foot against a stone. No evil shall you shall befall you. Let's allow this promise then to lead us into our second movement. We hear what the psalm is telling us. Let us pause here then and ask questions of this psalm. Does it really mean that no evil shall befall you? If we trust God, will we be protected from, from COVID, from bad things happening to us, to our loved ones? When our family lived in Cameroon, we worked with a couple, Bob and Ruth Chapman. Ruth was the person who introduced me to the statement of faith, God is good all the time, all the time. I'm always a little hesitant to say that because it it can feel trite, right? But it wasn't trite for Ruth and Bob. They were missionaries with Wycliffe Bible translators from Canada. They had three children, two boys and a girl. A few years before he met them, they were returning to Canada on furlough, and they were back in Canada for a few days when both of their boys came down with fevers, and they kept getting worse and worse until they ended up taking them to the hospital, and the boys ended up in two different hospitals, Bob with one boy, Ruth with the other. And the doctors didn't realize that they had malaria until it was too late, and their two sons died one hour apart in separate hospitals. It was Ruth who taught me, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. A couple of years after we returned from Cameroon, Bob and Ruth died in a plane crash in Nigeria. No evil shall befall you. Do not fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness. What does this all mean? These are beautiful words of comfort, but are they true? We have here in our midst many stories like Bob and Roost of suffering and loss, of God not protecting us or our loved ones. We have been victimized by evil people. How do we understand this? And that question then leads us to our third movement. How would Jesus pray this psalm? I want us to use our sanctified imaginations. How would Jesus have interpreted it? Jesus lived indeed in the shelter of the Most High. He abided in the shadow of the Almighty. He would have heard this psalm knowing for him that the cross was coming. He trusted and loved the Lord completely. And so if anyone could claim these promises he could. How does the cross of Jesus fit in Psalm 91? And our New Testament scripture that we read, we read of the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And in that third temptation in Luke, the devil places Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. right, And says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then he quotes our psalm. He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so you will not dash your foot against a stone. And this is a temptation that I think we all face. Satan is tempting Jesus to take and claim God's promises and to use them for his own purposes. Satan is tempting Jesus to do something spectacular, to amaze the people. We are tempted to claim God's promises without submitting to God's way. Jesus knew that God's way for him was the cross. It was not to be accomplished through a spectacle or through the spectacular. We know that God's way for us is to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. But what we are tempted to do is to take these promises like Psalm 91 and to use them to justify our own way. We take the promise that no evil shall befall us and then use it to justify our acquiring great wealth so that we can live lives insulated from any need or insecurity. We use it to justify living our lives in such a manner that we are always in control, or so we think. Or we take these promises to mean that God will want us to be safe and happy, and so I am free then to pursue my own desires and my own comfort, not in trust and dependence on the Lord, but in satisfying my every desire. We are promised security and safety, and so we then use the power, the violence, the deceit and lies of this world to get it for ourselves. But this is not Jesus' way. We are promised no evil will befall us if we make our home with God, if we trust him, if we find our shelter under his wings. Jesus is our refuge. And to follow him is not to live a life insulated from hardship and suffering, it is to live a life of sacrifice, of giving ourselves away as God does for us. Notice two strange New Testament passages that confirm this for me. The first is Romans 8, like this beautiful chapter, that this thrilling climax that Paul presents the gospel in the, in the book of Romans, and he gets to the end of chapter 8, one of the greatest portions in all of Scripture. Listen, words that are familiar to us. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own Son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Beautiful thrilling, comforting. Did you notice that I left out a verse? It's a verse I tend to skip over. It's a verse, and I've read this before, I thought, why is this verse even stuck in there? It's verse 36, if you're wondering. Let me read it again, including that verse. Backing up, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, this is the verse I left out. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors, which includes, for your sake, we are being killed all day long, and we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what it means to be a conqueror. A second verse, I think, is even stranger. In Luke 21, Jesus is talking about the end of the age and the suffering and persecution that will come. And then Jesus says this in verse 16 of Luke chapter 21, where he talks about being prepared to give a defense and uh, opportunities to testify. He says, verse 16, You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. You'll be betrayed, hated, and put to death. But not a hair of your head will perish. (laughs) I'm not worried about the hairs of my head, Lord. Uh, Not many there anyway, but we're going to die. We're going to be hated, and that's the promise. What Jesus is saying to us, what Paul is saying in Romans 8, is that Psalm 91 is not promising us that we won't have to suffer, that we won't experience loss. It's not promising that we will be protected from every hardship. We are more than conquerors, not because the Lord will keep us from going through hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, but because we will go through these things and not be separated the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We will not be separated. Nothing can separate us the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Finally then, listen again to the words, not of Jesus, but of our Heavenly Father. In this psalm, the psalmist has been speaking directly to us about the Lord and what he will do for us if we trust him. But in the psalm, the speaker changes in verse 14. In verse 14, our Heavenly Father speaks to us. Listen to what He says. He says, Those who love Me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know My name. When they call to Me, I will answer them. I'll be with them in trouble. I'll rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation Jesus cast himself down from the pinnacle not of the temple but from the pinnacle of heaven into the abyss of our sin and the Lord raised him up so that now God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, this promise is true. God is our refuge. Let us put our trust in him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, there is mystery in this for us. These promises which are dear to us, that we cling to, and yet we see how you lived your life, how you have invited us to follow you. Lord, help us to put our trust in you and you alone. Help us to not cling so tightly to our own life, to the lives of those we love, but that we cling most tightly to you. And Lord, we pray that indeed we would see your salvation, that we would know indeed that we will be satisfied with long life, life, eternal life with you, that nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from the destiny that you have chosen for us to be with you forever. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.